please take your Bibles and go to Judges chapter 18. Judges 18. If you're visiting with us, there's a black Bible in the chair in front of you. At least there should be. And uh, start in the book of Genesis and go to page 194. That's where you'll find Judges 18. Judges chapter 18, and remember from last week, excuse me, uh, we should be in chapter 10, but we, we jump from chapter 9 to chapter 17 because two reasons, it, it really describes, illustrates how evil Israel had become. And, and second, uh, chapter 17 through 21 actually happened earlier in the time of the judges, not later. As a matter of fact, you'll see even in chapter 18, this happened probably around the time of Joshua and his death around that time. It's quite interesting. So Judges chapter 18 I'm going to read, we're doing a study in a whole chapter, chapter 18 this morning. So let's read this part two to the intriguing story about Micah and his little shrine. Judges chapter 18, in those days there was no king of Israel. And in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in for until that day. An inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Eshtol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, go search the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man, the Levite. And they turned aside there and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? And he said to them, thus and so has Micah done to me. He's hired me and I've become his priest. And they said to him, well, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether our way in which we are going will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. Your way in which you are going has the Lord's approval. It's not convenient. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were in it living in security after the man of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There's no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land and they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came back to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtol, their brothers said to them, what do you report? And they said, arise, let us go up against them for we've seen the land and behold, it's very good. Will you sit still? Do not delay to go, to enter, to possess the land. When you enter, you shall come to secure people with a spacious land, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there's no lack of anything that is on the earth. Then from the family of, of the Danites, from Zorah and from Eshtual, 600 men armed with weapons of war set out, and they went up and camped to Kiriath Jearim in Judah. Therefore they called that place Mahanadan. To this day, behold, it is west of Kiriath Jearim. And they passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who went to spy out the country of Laish, verse 14, answered and said to their kinsmen, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod and household idols and a graven image and a molten image? Now therefore consider what you should do. And they turned aside, turned aside there and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, to the house of Micah and asked him his welfare. And the 600 men armed with weapons of war, who were of the sons of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Now the five men who went to spy out the land went up, entered there, 
took the graven image and the ephod and the household idols and the molten image while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the graven image, the ephod and the household idols and the molten image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, shut your trap. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the household idols and the graven image and he went among the people. Verse 21. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the valuables in front of them when they had gone some distance from the house of Micah, the men in the houses near Micah's house assembled and overtook the sons of Dan. And they cried to the sons of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what is with you that you assembled together? And he said, you've taken away my gods which I made and the priest and have gone away. What do I have besides? So how can you say to me, what is with you? And the sons of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us lest fierce men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. So the sons of Dan went on their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. Verse 27, And they took what Micah had made and the priests who had belonged to him and came to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, and struck them with the edge of the sword and they burned the city with fire. And there was no one to deliver them because it was far from Sidon. They had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley, which is near Beth Rehob. And they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. And the sons of Dan set up for themselves the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites, until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made, all the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. In, in my house, in my home, kids are around and we're just eating or whatever. There's lots of conversation happening. Because there's lots of people in the house, right? I mean, of course. I think they timed it last night that uh, it's, it, we can actually be quiet for about 20 seconds. That's pretty good. Wouldn't you say? No. So there's a little thing that we do in, in the house. So uh, somebody will do something, whatever, an event will happen. And it will immediately trigger like a one-liner from my movie. For example, uh, Phoebe's like putting the dishes away or something like that and, and we're doing the dishes and things like that and, and then she, she turns she's like oh, it won't fit and immediately me one of the other kids will say I'll make it fit now do you remember the 1950 movie classic Disney classic Cinderella so there remember the the Duke is going around all the the women and trying the, the glass slipper on and came to the, the home of the stepsisters, the stepmother and everything. So they're trying, to, did the first, what's it, uh, Elsa? No, no, not Elsa. Uh, what? Drisella and Anastasia, yeah. So they're, they're trying the one on, I don't remember who was first, but the second one, they're trying it on and she says, get out of the way, I'll make it fit. 
So she says it out loud. So, so that's, you know, this is, those are the kind of things that we do. We just, little one-liners in the house. So you say, I'll make it fit. And that's exactly what I thought of when I started studying this passage. You might say, that's kind of crazy. Why is he, why is he think? This is very similar to pragmatism. Pragmatism is an approach that assesses the truth of meaning of theories or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. In other words, if it works, you do it. Well, that doesn't work for them. That doesn't work for them. Well, this works, so let's do it. That becomes your truth. But this stepsister uh, went the next mile. And I called it, call it self-seeking pragmatism. I will make it work for me to benefit me. I will seek things that work for me. If it doesn't work, I'll make it work. I'll make it fit. So that way she could be the princess, right? Judges is about God's love, his overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people. And he loves us so much, he wants us to solely love him. And today, what we'll see is rival trust. Last week we looked at rival love, the danger of subjective syncretism. Today, it's rival trust, the danger of self-seeking pragmatism. God takes seriously when our trust in Him is rivaled. God takes seriously when our trust in Him is rivaled. Rival trust, the danger of self-seeking pragmatism. God loves us so much that He'll do what it takes for us to love and trust Him. He wants us to depend upon Him for everything. He wants us to trust Him in everything. He wants us to lean upon Him in everything. And what happens is, when disbelief sets in, then you're going to make it fit. Disbelief can lead to self-seeking pragmatism, which leads to a whole list of other sins. And friends, this is exactly what you see in chapter 18. It began with disbelief. It began with a lack of trust with the Danites. And they went down that road. And it's a warning to us. That we should trust our God and the circumstances in which he's placed us, the situations in which he's put us even though we don't like it. Even though it's not benefiting you. See, that's how detrimental it can be 
when we lack trusting the Lord and what He wants for our lives to depend on Him for everything, to love Him chiefly and solely. That's why we read from Deuteronomy 13, to love Him, to serve Him, to cling to Him. That's what the Lord says, is what He commands us. And He commands us to trust Him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. when we begin to trust ourselves and our efforts instead of the Lord, a whole list of other sins come about. So beware. Yahweh wants us to trust Him and His Word, following Him and His Word. When we disbelieve our God, we immediately turn to self-seeking pragmatism. Whatever works for my own selfish ends, I'm going to make it fit. God takes seriously when our trust in Him is rivaled. And by the way, it's it's not a matter of of letting go and letting God. No. It's a matter of trusting God and obeying what He's revealed in His Word. Trusting God and moving forward in what He said in His Word. That's what the Danites did not get. You'll see. So a whole list of other sins follow. And this is what you're going to see unfold before you. The rival trust happens, the lack of trusting in the Lord. Then there's going to be self-seeking pragmatism and then it leads to disobedience, selfishness, deception, bullying, violence, all because they didn't trust God in His Word. I said, no, we're not going to trust you in that. We're going to take things into our own hands. We don't ever do that, do we? Yeah, but instead, you know, when, we, when we trust Christ, we'll obey Him, giving thanks, showing selflessness, genuineness, grace, compassion, or as the phrase goes, you trust and obey. That's what happens. No, pragmatism is bad. Self-seeking pragmatism is even worse. And it's this kind of pragmatism we see displayed in the tribe of Dan. And this story, the continuation of the story, in chapter 18, is told with a bit of uh, cynical humor. Such irony in the things that are said. It's really sad. Samuel left us last time with Micah having this Levite become his priest. Remember, he had this nice shrine. He had a little go priest. Remember, a Levite was supposed to be a priest. It was the sons of Aaron. A Levite was an assistant. He wasn't supposed to be a priest, so <clears throat> no. Shrine, physical priest. He had a vast array of idols. Perfect. Now I know Yahweh's going to bless me. End of chapter 17. The story continues. Dan sets out for territory. They sent five spies, stay with Micah, asked the priest to inquire of the Lord, found a place, slaughter these people, set up their little city, set up their idolatry. That's what we see happen. But what's this all about, really? What's this all about? Self-seeking pragmatism. They did whatever 
works best for them with no regard for Yahweh and his revealed word. That, that's what you see happen. And notice how Samuel begins this. And this is the second time he says this. Verse one of chapter 18. In those days there was no king of Israel. So the first point is kind of easy. The people needed a king. There you go. We need a king. There had, had there been a good king, uh, this would not have happened in Israel. A, a good king who would be faithful to Yahweh in his covenant. A good king that would destroy this kind of pragmatism, this kind of syncretism, and direct God's people to love him solely and chiefly. Uh, and that's what we find in Jesus, isn't it? You can almost see and sense that it's, it's pointing us to the future and the need for our perfect Messiah who will direct the hearts of the people back to the Lord. That's what Jesus is there for. So you see it there, even from this one verse. But notice, even here as well, in verse one, the beginnings of this disbelief. In those days there's no king of Israel, And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in for until that day. An inheritance had not been allotted them as a possession among the tribes of Dan. What's happening here? Their lot was not allotted to them. So this is possibly during the time of Joshua when he was still alive. Or maybe a little bit after he died. But even still, they would not like what they had been given. They didn't like it. And if you remember, uh, some weeks ago, they were struggling with the Amorites of that area. Do you remember that? The end of chapter one. They were struggling with the Amorites, which is near Judah and Ephraim. So if you're looking at a map, it'd be like uh, uh, Ephraim's here, Judah's here. Dan was supposed to be like right here. The Amorites were taking over. And as we saw this some weeks ago, Why were they having such a problem with the Amorites? Why were they having such a problem with all these different nations? Israel was commanded to drive out these nations because of the spiritual influence these nations would have upon Israel. They were called to trust Yahweh and to carry out his command. But instead, what did they do? They tolerated them. They didn't obey the Lord. They didn't trust the Lord. It was a lack of faith. Remember that? Remember we talked about that? So already, Dan, the tribe of Dan, they lacked trusting Yahweh in the conquest of this area that, that, that would be marked up for them. And remember, they were already resorting to worshiping Baal. They were already going down that path. That's why Joshua said, choose who you're going to serve this day. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. What did Joshua say? No, you won't. We will serve the Lord. We will serve. No, you won't. He was right. They had a lack of gratitude for what God had allowed to them. They they did not trust Yahweh and where he wanted them to be. They thought they knew best, so they were left to find their own land and search for themselves. They were not happy with the circumstances God gave them. Now, if that doesn't apply to us, wow, what doesn't? That happens to us so many times. We so don't like what's going on. 
I'll make it fit. I'll make it work. And that's what you see. The self-seeking pragmatism. Again, verse 1. Was seeking an inheritance for themselves. Verse 2. The sons of Dan sent from their family five men of the whole number, valiant men, to spy out the land. They said, go search the land. So what did they do? They did what was right in their own eyes. Oh, that, that, that sounds familiar. They did what was right in their own eyes and sought out their own territory. This truly revealed their lack of faith in Yahweh. There's, there's the warning for us. Oh Lord, help me to trust you more. Oh Lord, help me to depend upon you more and not to take things on myself. I'll make it fit. So you see, they spied out the land. Notice what happens at the end of verse 2 into verse 3. They came to the kill country Ephraim, house of Micah. When they were near the house, they recognized the voice of this young man. So they spied out the land. They ended up staying with Micah, possibly lived near the main road. And they possibly knew this Levite. Uh, maybe they could tell from his accent. He was from their area. But what they saw in Micah's house impressed them so much. So they asked him a serious question. What are you? What are you brought here? Blah, blah, blah. Verse 4. And he said to them, Thus and so, Micah's done for me. He's hired me. I've become his priest. So what do they do? They were so impressed that he was asked, this man, to be the priest. So he used the ephod to find out if Yahweh would bless their conquest. Can you believe this? They are already lacking their faith in God going about their own circumstances, trying to make things happen for themselves, and then they had the audacity to say, wait, inquire of God see if he's going to bless us. Do you see this? This is pragmatism. And then notice verse 6, the priest, he said to them, go in peace. Your way in which, uh, in other words, the Lord would view your actions with favor. That's how one writer put it. The ephod and the teraphim, it was used for this purpose. Now did the Lord Yahweh, did he truly give them his approval? His approval? Probably not. I doubt it. Because it wasn't recorded that he was asked. Not to mention the fact that this Levite, he wasn't even a true priest. He was a fake. He was a con man. He just wanted money. He didn't care about anything else. There's something else too. Wait a second. If they really wanted to know if they had the approval of Yahweh, why didn't they go to Shiloh, which was in Ephraim? Why didn't they go there? You ever thought about that? Why didn't they go there to the place where the Lord was, where the tabernacle was? Because they didn't really want to know. I'll make it fit. I'll make it work. So that disbelief. And notice what happens. The list of sins that happens from this disbelief into self-seeking pragmatism, and then you have violence. 
verse 7 through 12. He came to Laish. They saw these people. This was, uh, Laish was far north, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. A long distance from potential enemies had a great water supply that area. The people there enjoyed security and peace. They had no defenses because they were, how remote they were. They came back to the brothers. Oh man, you gotta see this place. It's awesome. This is so great. And notice what they say. Verse 10, when you enter, you shall come to secure people with a spacious land. For God has given it. Oh, that's nice. Just pull that God card out. Oh, God has said. That's convenient. The Lord told me to tell you. These Danites were fierce warriors who showed no mercy. Verse 11. 600 men armed with weapons and war set out. They camped at this place. Kiriath Jearim. Uh, drop down to um, verse 27. Oh, 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 wait. I want to put this up there for you. Uh, they even used scripture to back up their merciless slaughter of a peaceful, helpless, undefended people. Am- amazing. These guys were something else. So notice, verse 27 now. They took what Micah had made priests they took that just packed up their gear set off for this land they came to Laish and they struck them all down completely annihilating the city and then burning it with fire notice how Samuel puts Dan in a bad light and the people of Laish he kind of puts them in a good light you see that they're quiet and secure And then verse 29, and they called, excuse me, in the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. This shows their brutality and the lack of mercy for others. They were not given this land. They took it for themselves. Disbelief, self-seeking pragmatism, leading to violence, and then leading to selfishness and deception, verses 13 through 20. Look at verse 13. Came to the house of Micah. Oh, now here we go. The spies gave to their comrades this info. Notice, verse 14. Do you know that there are in these houses, an ephod, a household idols, and graven image, molten image? Now consider what we should do, brethren. <laughs> the teraphim. Graven image, molten image. So while the 600 stood guard, verse 17, the spies went in to spy, the, the five men went to spy out the land, took the graven image, ephod, household idols, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate, with the 600 men with weapons of war standing there, and the priest is like, what are you doing? like he's going to do much anyways because there's 600 men of war with their weapons. What's he going to do, right? Yeah, right. And then notice, they said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Basically, he said, shut up and get in the car. And be a priest to a whole clan. Talk about pragmatism. Talk about self-seeking pragmatism and such deception and this Levi said no no I'm not gonna look verse 20 Levi's heart was glad 
I'm going to make some serious dough now. Man, this is great. Remember, the Levi was an opportunist. He wanted a good spot to make some good money. Going to make some serious cash by going with his whole clan. So he starts helping them. Let's go, all right. (laughs) He's helping them put the stuff in. You believe this? One writer says he, quote, happily sells his fidelity to the higher bidder, end quote. You know, another writer said that this priest is a good depiction of Israel at large. Fickle and a mercenary attitude. Mm. You know, this whole shenanigan scenario, you know, one writer pointed this out. This is Keen. It fulfilled Jacob's prophecy regarding Dan that he would be serpent-like in nature. Genesis chapter 49, verse 17. Jacob prophesied Dan would do this. And here it is. Such deception, selfishness. When we stop trusting God and the circumstances in which he's placed us, then anything goes. And then last, you have here, well, not last, almost last, is, oh, oh, here, I didn't put up on screen. Beware, when we stop trusting and loving our Lord, we might find ourselves getting caught into a bunch of other sins too. When we stop trusting and loving our Lord, we may find ourselves getting caught into a bunch of other sins too. May this spur you on to trust the Lord. May it spur you on to depend on Him. May it spur you on to love Him. Now we get into the last one, or almost last one, which is bullying. Look at what happens in verse 21. They took off, and Micah from verse 22, men from the house of Dan, they went off after them, overtook them. Verse 23, they cried the son of Dan to turn around and said, what's with you? What's the matter with you? What are you coming after me for? The response is classic in verse 24. You have taken away my gods which I made. Do you see that? You, you see the cynical humor in that. You've taken away the gods which I made? Talk about irony. What a ludicrous statement, and a sad statement, to say. A god who can be stolen and pilfered is no true god. It was a he lost it all because he stole his gods. Friends, this was how far Israel had gone in sin. This is how far they've gone. And then, verse 25, the son of Dan said to him, if you don't shut your trap and go back home, you'll be sorry you stopped us on a road, road trip, pal. We'll cut your heads off. You better turn right around and go back home. There's that bullying there. We'll make you pay. A disbelief had brewed even more sin. Disunity, hatred, theft, pilfering. That's what you see. Verse 26, the sons of Dan went on their way. When Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned back, went back to his house. 
I guess Yahweh wasn't blessing him anymore, huh? Remember chapter 17, verse 13? I guess Yahweh wasn't blessing him anymore. Now the last one. Open idolatry. Flat out, right out in the open. Verse 30. And the son of Dan set up for themselves the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Now, what Samuel does, he gives you two parts to this that are very vital for you to understand. First, Dan was one of the places selected by Jeroboam I way in the future as the site for the golden calf worship of the northern kingdom. When the kingdom was split in half, Jeroboam picked two places, Bethel and Dan. Possibly he continued what was already happening in Dan, most likely. Which means it probably was a golden calf, what they had. But do you know it's a second bit of information? The second bit of information you have here, not just Dan was one of the places selected by Jeroboam the first, but the second bit of information is this man, this priest, was Moses' grandson. Now you have a, a textual variant here in verse 30 where it says the son of Manasseh, but actually originally in the manuscripts, it's Moses. This was Moses' grandson. So now you know who this priest was. This is how, this is how, Moses, second generation, third generation, can you believe this? So they set up for themselves, in verse 31, Micah's graven image, which he made. And this was like this, Samuel said, until the day the northern Canaan went into captivity into Syria. That's how much it was. That's how for long it was. And this was contrary to God's command not to have private sanctuaries. There's only one sanctuary. Notice the end of verse 31. All the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. There's only one sanctuary. There's a tabernacle. That's where it should be. I'll make it fit. I'll make it work. You need to do things my way, God. No, it's only supposed to be one sanctuary, the tabernacle, because God is the one who tells us how we're supposed to worship him. It's because God wanted them to be him to be central in all their thoughts and actions. He was to be first. He was to be foremost. He was to be their king. He was to be their God. He was to be the one they would trust. It's him. And, and you realize this communicates to us that Israel had rejected Yahweh as king. Well, now, now you can worship Yahweh right in the comfort of your own home. Mm. Your own territory. This is convenient. It works better. It's pragmatism. Self-seeking pragmatism. I want to review a little bit what we looked at 
But before I do that, I want to point something out to you. So you have this whole situation. The Danites moved up here way north, right? And from now on, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would be referred to, the nation of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. Isn't that interesting? Because what do you see here? Yahweh showed grace to Dan. They should have never done this. He showed grace in this way by now referring to the nation of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Isn't that amazing? Which, I mean, it shows us. He shows us grace too to draw us to himself that we would love and trust him. God is very gracious to you because when you go down the road of not believing in him, he's very gracious to you. And he's gonna discipline you. He's gonna squeeze so you would trust him because he wants you to love him. That's how much he loves you. God loves us so much. He'll do what it takes for us to love and trust him. He wants us to depend upon him for everything. That's why we're gonna partake of the Lord's Supper. I mean, that's the idea behind this. It's a renewal of how I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm trusting you, Lord. I should be condemned. I should be facing your wrath and your justice. But instead, I'm facing your mercy and your grace and your compassion. And the elements are a physical, tangible display of the gospel. The bread, Jesus' body. The juice, his blood. It reminds you of God's grace to you. It reminds you of his mercy. And it reminds you to renew your trust in Christ and Christ alone, right? It renews that in you. God takes seriously when our trust in him is rivaled. Yahweh wants us to trust him and his word, following him and his word. You need to renew your trust today, O Christian. And let this be a, a way that we do this when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that as a way to remind ourselves and renew our trust in Him again. But, you know, we need to ask this question as well. Maybe you're here today and you have not trusted Him. Maybe you're here today and you have not put your dependence upon Christ. You should repent and trust Christ. You should come to Jesus and trust Him and Him alone. He'll save you. You should be judged. Yet God will show you grace and mercy in Jesus. Come, he says. He likes it when people trust him because he's trustworthy. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, we know that we, we do fall short in so many ways and yet we're very thankful for your grace and your compassion, for your patience and your gentleness. And as we prepare our hearts at this time, Father, we pray that you would help us by your Spirit to renew our trust in you once again.
Our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Our love for Jesus and Jesus alone. Our dependence upon Jesus and Jesus alone. For Jesus, only you can save us. And we remind ourselves of this great gospel truth. May we be encouraged. May the gospel, the elements, the Lord's Supper encourage us reminding us of your gospel truth and to look forward to the day when our trust in you will be perfect. When you'll return, you'll set up your kingdom and then we can enjoy you and trust you and not be distracted by our sin. We look for that day we, we look forward to that day we long for that day I want to encourage you at this time to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper come with humility and yet with thanks with brokenness and yet with gratitude that there's forgiveness and mercy found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you're here and you say, well, I'm, I'm not a member of this church, if you come from a church of like faith and practice, we would prefer being baptized by immersion. Or take the Lord's Supper with us. But we would advise you, if you don't know Jesus, you've not trusted Christ, this is not for you. You can watch. But you should see the, the reality of the gospel truth laid out before you. And may we, as we partake of the elements, and you're here, you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus, one of his disciples, may, may it drive you to Christ. May it drive you to Jesus. May it drive you to the cross to repent and trust in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, I would also encourage you, if you have something against another believer, brother or sister in Christ, or anyone else for that matter, and you've not gone to reconcile with them, I would encourage you not partake, partake of the elements. Wait till next time. First go reconcile with that person brother or sister and then come and partake of the elements with us but let this time just a few minutes of silence where you can fill your mind with truth with gospel truth preparing your hearts for what we're going to see and taste in the gospel do that now please